Can you hear me? Okay. Because I could always lean in a little closer. Okay. Uh, perhaps, uh, like me, you grew up singing the children's song, and uh, if you grew up in church or Sunday school or going to vacation Bible school, I'm sure you sang this little song about Jesus' love. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones do him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. And we usually <laughs> sang it about like that because uh, we were little and didn't know much about singing. Now, uh, here's the unfortunate truth. Singing that song, quoting the verses like John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, because when I grew up, that's the way we learned it. Um, declaring our confidence in all of the church's creeds, those things do not guarantee that we feel loved. Head knowledge alone, head knowledge alone never equals heart experience. You can know all the right doctrines, all the right Bible verses, all the great church songs, about God's love and not feel loved. Having a theological affirmation, a theological statement, God loves me, and the personal awareness of that are two different things. We can proclaim Jesus' love without feeling it in the core of our beings. And we can't ever really love each other the way Jesus loves us until we experience God's love. That's our problem. <clears throat> We sing, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. And we want to believe it. We want to believe it's true. But for so many of us, it's unbelievable. We must know, beyond mere head knowledge, we must know God's love for us. As J.D. Walt, one of my favorite authors, says, in other words, you've got to know that God likes you. 
So that just put it on a whole new level, didn't it? <coughs> God likes you. He goes on to say, this is the whole point of Jesus. It may be the most important question he says, I will ever ask you. I'm going to take it to this point. This may be the most important question I may ever ask you. Do you know Jesus likes you? Some of us are keenly aware of the problem. Others, not so much. <coughs> so I want you to just give me a moment to expose some of the warning signs that can show up in our lives. That, that we have this, this problem and that we either, whether we're aware of it or not, that we just aren't really feeling loved by God. Uh, first, one of the problems is we, we never have enough. Enough what? I'm glad you asked. Enough power, popularity, or property. Somebody else said that. I ripped them off. I don't know who it was, but, you know, just those peas just roll together. Don't think power, popularity, or property. Uh, we want to be in charge. We want everybody to like us, or we want to have a bunch of stuff, or it would be great if we could have all of it. But we never have enough. We never have enough people appreciating our work or recognizing uh, our achievements. We just never have enough. We just have this constant sense that I need more. <clears throat> That's one warning sign. Another warning sign is that we're stuck with a miserable, empty feeling because everything we've ever pursued has failed to deliver what we expected it to deliver. <clears throat> Everything has just been, I'm going to date myself for some people. Some people are in the room and maybe online or so old. They, I don't know. Some of you may not know this song. Some of you, because you're older than me, and some of you, because you're younger than me. But there was a band in Kansas that talked about things just blowing and you know, chasing the wind. I can't, all of a sudden, I can't remember the words. The song was going through my head. Uh, well, I guess I wasn't supposed to talk about it. I was supposed to talk about Kansas, the band, at least, in church on Sunday morning. I don't know why they're good. Okay, anyway, uh, I get away with talking about this song. Done it before. Uh, another warning sign is we've been looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in too many faces. <coughs> and every time we've been disappointed because we've been looking for God's love from people. Other broken people can't deliver God's love. <clears throat> Another warning sign is our relationship with Jesus is like an endless treadmill that keeps going faster and faster, almost like a hamster in a wheel. And he just, from our perspective, he seems 
to never be satisfied. <clears throat> and then there's that voice. This is another warning sign. There's, a, there's that voice in our head. Everybody's got a voice in their head. But it keeps repeating a constant loop of hate, shame, condemnation, nearly 24-7. We can't escape it. Can't find lasting relief, no matter what we try. It's just always there. It's not good enough. You don't measure up. You're a loser. One of my professors, when I was in school, he and his daughter wrote a book called God's Healing for Hurting Families. And in that book, he, he, he mentions another one of the warning signs, and that is that shame spells not loved in bold-faced letters across our hearts. Another one, another warning sign is that we tend to push people away or that we build walls to keep them out because we feel like we deserve isolation, rejection, and loneliness. And so the safest thing for us to do is just keep people away before bad things happen. Oh, here's another warning sign. Our view of God that's deep inside of us is in complete disagreement, totally in stark contrast with the Bible's picture of a loving God. Author Sandra Wilson has, has, uh, has five uh, what she calls distorted views of God distorted deities. Uh, she talks about the cruel and unpredictable God, the demanding and unforgiving God, the selective and unfair God who plays favorites. Uh, odds are that you're never the favorite, by the way. Uh, the distant and unavailable God. By the way, that reminds me of uh, one of my professors said uh, when he was in school, one of his professors started the class with a prayer to the God who, who might be up there somewhere possibly listening. Well, that's a real hopeful prayer. Why bother? I'm sorry. Uh, number five, the kind but confused God. You know, you know he cares, but he just can't quite figure out what to do about it. <clears throat> uh, 
Wow, that's like eight different kinds of warning signs. Uh, and this is our problem. Jesus tells us the world will know we're his disciples because we love others like he loves. But we can't grow beyond knowing about his love without experiencing it. We're starving for his love and we can't share what we don't have. If we don't experience his love, we don't share it. Individually or collectively. <clears throat> well, this isn't in my notes, but I'm going to stop and share it anyway. That's always a little nerve-wracking. Oh, there it is. We're just dust blowing in the wind. That was Kansas, by the way. Um, it came back, so apparently it's not bad to talk about Kansas in church on Sunday morning. But that's not, that's the other thing that was in, wasn't in my notes. This is, when we talk about this, our problem is that we're starving for love. We can't share what we don't have individually or collectively. All across North America, churches, Christians are not, obviously not sharing love with people like Jesus does. <clears throat> we got a lot of this. Yes, Jesus loves me up here. But very of a little of it down here. And what's in here in our hearts is what's coming out and is downright ugly, <clears throat> mean and hurtful. Inside the walls and outside the walls. Well, what are we going to do about it? Well, I'm glad you asked because that's what the rest of, the, rest of what we're going to talk about this morning is. Well, let's talk about real quick where this, where this mess comes from. Where does this problem come from? It comes from the fact that we live in a broken world filled with broken people, and broken people break people. I also think that I got that from someone else. <laughs> Who it was, I don't know, but might as well give credit to someone else because I'm like Solomon. There's nothing new under the sun. So here, here's our personal brokenness, our individual brokenness. The, the brokenness that we have as individuals is exaggerated by our experience in, in, in 
our families, our fallen families. There are no perfect families in this world. None. Families range along a whole continuum, a whole scale of from constantly, consistently dysfunctional and highly destructive to fairly consistently functional and nurturing, but none of them are flawless and none of them are perfect and nobody, no one comes through childhood unscathed. Nobody. <clears throat> we are all broken. And the scars make it hard to receive and to give love. Okay, I'm going to pause for a moment. Because some of us are arguing. Some of us... Some of us are saying, how dare you say that about my family? My parents were awesome. I didn't say they weren't. I personally think I was decent, Dad. But I'll be the first one to tell you that I'm a broken dad. <coughs> My dad and mom were pretty awesome people, but they were broken. And my family was closer to the nurturing, fairly consistently functional end of life, but I still have scars. I wasn't on this end where everything went, you know, that was... I just want you to know that as long as you're arguing and trying to say your family was perfect and you got no problems, you got more problems and they're not going to be solved. God can't heal what we conceal. That definitely, I got that from a speaker at 41 Hours. I do remember. Uh, I think her last name was Morrison. Um, I at least remember that much. And as long as we're saying my family was perfect and I got no scars from my childhood, all I can do is tell you that the denial is not just a river in Egypt. The scars make it hard to receive and give love, and as long as we deny their existence, we're in trouble. And whether we not, whether until we acknowledge them and come out with the truth that those scars exist, and honestly say out loud what's already deep inside of our hearts, the question 
Why would God love us unconditionally when no one else has ever loved me like that? Why would God love me like that? It is impossible to love another person for God's sake and the way God has loved us apart from God working in us. And that's the primary ministry and mission of the Holy Spirit to working in us, to inhabit our lives until we have been healed to the place where we can start loving people like Jesus loves us. Now I'm going to drop a word some of you have heard before. It's a theologian's word. It's a word Wesleyans have used in our history a lot. It's the word sanctification. That word sanctification means to be made holy like God. Another way to say that is to become like Jesus. And what does that mean? That basically means that we start loving people and each other like Jesus loves. That's the whole thing. The whole meaning of sanctification, the whole work and ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to help us love others as Jesus has loved us. That's the total of God's will for us that we are to love others as Jesus has loved us. <clears throat> that brings us to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Paul's been talking about how when we have experienced the power and the dimensions of God's love in our life, when we have learned to experience not just that, yes, Jesus loves me, I know it in my head, but yes, I know in my heart Jesus loves me. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, he says, You are the children that God dearly loves. So follow his example. Lead a life of love just as Christ did. He loved us. He gave himself up for us. He was a sweet-smelling offering and sacrifice to God. That phrase, the children that God dearly loves, describes the foundation that we stand on. As children, we imitate God from. These are the critical words that make the difference. They make all the difference in the world. It's not something we have to make and generate on our own. We start from the fact and the experience of, I am a dearly loved child of God. Wait a minute. I am a dearly loved child of God. And when I came into existence, he said, I've been waiting for this moment since before the day of creation. Finally, you're here. Let's get at it. God loves us deeply, and that transforms our relationship with him. He doesn't just put up with us. He likes us. He longs to hang out with us. 
And when we grasp that, when that grasps us, it transforms our relationships with each other. In other words, we are God's deeply, dearly, unconditionally loved children. And so we can learn to love as he loves. We are designed to become rivers of life-giving love to each other. Now we find that stance of being well-loved child, of well-loved children, by grasping for ourselves a love that we've never known. Nobody else has ever loved us like Jesus. And then we become, we begin to feel, we come to feel like well-loved children, even though we've never grown up that way. We can set aside the lie of our own worthy, worthlessness, our own loveliness, and begin accepting and soaking in the love of God for us. Jesus releases in us. So how do we start soaking up God's love? Man, I'm so glad we got here. How do we do this? How can we experience it in our hearts? Well, one of the first things we need to exchange, uh, we need to exchange our belief systems. We need to renounce the lies of this broken world and our broken experiences, and we need to start announcing the truth. We grasp a love that we do not know by exchanging our belief systems. We need to start that, that voice in our head that starts dumping all kinds of hate and self-hate and destruction and condemnation. We need to start to recognize that as that's distorted reality. That is brokenness. That's the fallen world that we live in. And we need to take God's truth and correct it. So when I, when I think I'm a loser, when I think I'll never measure up, I need to stop that and go, wait a minute. I'm God's dearly loved son. I don't have to be perfect to be loved. I don't have to succeed. I don't have to score perfectly. I don't have to be, I don't have to. I am just loved because I exist. Even saying that, there's a part of me that wants to argue. I have to laugh at myself. I don't know about you. See, I'm just sharing with you some of my own st stuff I've got to renounce. That's not true. I don't have to measure up. There's not a thing I can do to make God love me more. And there's not a thing I can do to make him love me less. He loved me before I even existed. So, I mean, you know, how can I beat that? That's the first thing. We start need to, we need to get to know 
what his truth is about us and his love for us and start going, oh, that doesn't match. That's wrong. I dare say, dare you say, that's stupid. You can even say, that's a pile of fertilizer. Okay? You do that in church. Now, number two, second thing we need to do, we need to receive God's love through others, particularly those around us who are also experiencing and learning to experience his love. We experience the love of God through other people who do live love, who do experience being loved by God and who are thought of, who authentic. It's easy for you to say, apparently not for me. Let's try that again. We can experience God's love for us through other people who do live the life of love, who do feel love, and who authentically care about us. Third thing we need is to start speaking the truth about you to you. We need to speak the truth about ourselves to ourselves. We learn to feel like well-loved children even if we didn't grow up that way by speaking the truth about ourselves. We stop the lie that perpetuates the sense of isolation, unworthiness, and unloveliness. You know, if Jesus thinks I'm worth dying for, I really can't be as bad as other people have made me think I am. My value was established on a hill outside Jerusalem on a cross. My value is the value of the God who was crucified for me. My value is not found in what I have, and my value is not found in what I do. My value is not found in how many people like me. And my value is not found in how many people applaud me. My value is not found in anything except for the fact that God himself decided that I was worth becoming human for, dying for, conquering death for, and inviting me into his family. That's my value. God says I'm worth living and dying for. on everything else. Believe me, that was edited. Persons who are particularly un, uh, just flooded with hate talk from the voice in their head need to spend, take some time to spend some time on themselves. But it's kind of like somebody said, it's kind of like uh, you just don't camp out there. Okay, you don't spend the rest of your life there. Uh, it's like dealing with a badly sprained ankle or a broken bone. I mean, you've got to take time to, for, for that ankle to get healed or the bone to be healed, but you don't spend the rest of your time in a cat, life in a cast or on crutches. The thing heals up and you get on with your life. So you take time to deal with the junk in your head but you know you're going to get over it so you can get on with the rest of your life and learning how to love people like Jesus loves you. Absolute, unconditional, divine love is poison to self-contempt and hatred. God's love calls us back from isolation into relationship. 
it is this goodness that begins to turn us toward home. When you make a mistake, here's I didn't put this in it. This is a great warning sign. Just listen to yourself when you make a mistake. What do you say to yourself? One of my devotionals asked this powerful question. What words and phrases do you commonly use to curse yourself? Can you reframe the, your reactions within the context of God's love for you? I'm just going to ask you to, if, if you're one of those ones, if, if you're like me, I want to encourage you to be, to do something with me. Ask the Holy Spirit to stop you the next time you start chewing yourself out like that. <coughs> I mean, most of us are parents or grandparents in some way, shape, or form. We got family. Someone started talking about your kid or grandkid like that, what would you say to them? Give the Holy Spirit permission to tell you the same thing. Do not talk to my kid that way. Or I will box your ears. If you're lucky, that's all I'll do. <clears throat> right? How can we begin to speak kindness over ourselves instead of contempt and anger and curses? Ask the Holy Spirit to stop us? That's a suggestion. Okay, let's keep moving. There's some more good stuff here. We can see, fourth thing we can do is seize the transforming power of God's love for us by welcoming the Holy Spirit into more areas of our lives. Now, it's so easy for us to do, okay, I got church life and I got the rest of my life. I got religious stuff that I do and I got this stuff. And in, Rome, in the letter that Paul wrote to Romans, he said, our hope will not lead us to disappointment for we know how Dearly God loves us because he has given the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts, to fill our whole lives, to fill everything, to fill our hearts with his love. There not, should not be any area of our life where God does not have his love just flooding us. Yeah, even that spot you just thought of and you said, I don't know if he can handle it. He can handle it. So what are the results of being dearly loved daughters and sons in God's kingdom family? Here it is. Here's the sermon in the sentence. We are God's dearly, deeply, unconditionally loved children. So we can love like he loves. I remember learning about the water cycle in eighth grade science class. Now, please, everybody who hates science, do not zone out. I know. I'm a nerd and a geek. Those of you who are not, please put up with me. 
This is the water cycle. I'm gonna explain it real fast. Y'all, we've lived it this summer really well. Water falls from the clouds. It goes through the ground, collects in creeks and streams and channels and rivers, ends up in pipes and garden hoses and it gives life. As long as it flows, it gives life. Water that pools in stagnant ponds and puddles becomes lifeless, deadly. It evaporates. Fortunately, it'll evaporate and get back up there and fall down and get someplace else where maybe it can give us life. But God's love for us is, can be like that. God's love can be like that water that falls in places where it can flow to give life to others. God loves us deeply, and that transforms our relationship with him. And ultimately, it can transform our relationships with each other. God's love flows into our lives to flow out to others. The more we allow it to flow out, the more his love gives to us. The more life his love can give us. The experience, we experience the unconditional, inconceivable, powerful love of Jesus. And we begin to pass God's love on to other people. We can be like rivers and channels and pipes and hoses that share the love that God has given to us. When we allow God's love to flow through us, our lives become acts of worship. Well, when we sing a song that says, in all I do, I honor you, it's not just something we hope is true or wish is true. It's true. When we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, when we welcome God's love to not only heal us, but to go through us and to heal other people, when we willingly sacrifice to love like Jesus, then our love, our lives become symphonies of praise and love to God. So the question is, are you ready? Are you ready to ask Jesus first to heal your deepest wounds with his holy love? And then are you willing to, to be the way that he loves other people? It's two sides of the same coin. They're inseparable. I'm not going to lie to you. You can't have one without the other. You want to be healed just to feel good. Sorry. Doesn't work that way. God heals us so that we can be part of his answer to this screwed up, messed up, broken up world. <clears throat> Don't settle for being just a better broken up. Be part of the answer. Are you willing to be healed so that you can be part of the healing process for others? Let's pray.
Holy Spirit, you know our hearts. You know our wounds. Even the ones we don't want to think about. Even the ones we don't want to mention. Even the ones we, some of us are secretly hoping you don't notice. Help us to welcome you into every area of our lives and all of the hurts. We ask you to heal our deepest wounds, our darkest secrets. Heal our scars with your holy love. And help us to love each other and love this world as Jesus does. Jesus' love does help us to love others. the things we as 21st century Americans don't do well is sit in silence. But I'm going to ask us to do it for just a few moments. Let's just sit quietly in God's presence.
Again, I want to thank everyone, whether you're online or on site, for participating today in our uh, worship celebration. This is my prayer for you. You all are going to be sent momentarily, but as you go, I want you to know, know this is my prayer for you and me and everyone else. May you experience the love of Christ. May you know how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience his love, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of, of life and power that comes from God himself. You are sent to experience and to share the love that only God can give. Go. In Jesus' name.